Hello, welcome to the Oral History Podcast. I'm Carrie Mesrobian, and I'm here with Krista Dazier. Thank you for joining me, Krista. Thanks, Carrie. <laughs> Hi. Uh, Hi. Okay, we'll do some quick introductions. Krista Dazier is the author of two young adult novels, Faultline and Bleed Like Me. Her third book, Other Broken Things, will be released by Simon Pulse in January of 2016. Here are some more Krista facts. She is also a freelance editor, a rape victim advocate, and a roller derby skater lady thing person. Whatever. What do you even call yeah, that? I, I think that's it. Roller de- okay. derby skater lady person. That sounds okay. right. Um, all right. Good enough. Uh, Krista will now introduce me so I don't sound super conceited. No, you're such a dork. I, but I'm going to introduce you anyway. Um, Carrie is my friend who I call the um, oasis in the desert, uh, in the desert of pearl clutching clean YA. Um, she is an author of two young adult novels also. Um, one uh, called Sex and Violence, which was a Morris finalist, and one called Perfectly Good White Boy. Um, her third book, Cut Both Ways, will be released by HarperCollins in September 2015. Um, Carrie facts, uh, Carrie fun facts, um, she likes to crochet um, and makes really awesome hats. Uh, she likes TV, mostly The Walking Dead, so that she can talk about Norman Reedus, who is her fake boyfriend. And she likes her dog, um, whose name is Pablo. Is that right? Your dog's yes. name is Pablo? Okay. There, Correct. That's, that, that's Carrie fun facts. Okay. Now, yeah. All right. Now we got that shit settled. All right. Let's talk about why you're actually here and why we're here. Um, we're going to do two things today on our podcast. Um, the oral history is about two main segments, sex and then YA fiction. These are two things that are dear to Krista and I's heart. So first, what we're going to do is we're going to set up a topic that Krista and I will discuss. And we'll talk about our own lives in relation to that topic. And then... Um, We'll recommend some YA books that we think deal with that topic in interesting ways. And that's really it. Yeah. So it's basically simple. And we know that there are going to be like only two people listening and hopefully one of them's not my dad. So we're, <laughs> we're going to be great. Uh, and today's topic is girl talk. Um, uh, which could mean lots of different things, but for our purposes and sort of what we wanted to focus on is um, how do cur- girls talk to each other about their own sexual behavior? And um, I feel like, Carrie, you and I kind of got to this place of wanting to talk about this because one day I was walking my dog and I was explaining some shenanigans to you. And I said, you know, like, you're one of my few friends. Like, I only have a couple of good girlfriends who I talk about this stuff to anymore. And I used to talk to my teenage girlfriends. Like, they were, like, en masse. They would be, like, eight of us all in a room, like, sharing these things. And I feel like as I, I've, I've grown as a woman or as I've grown older, um, I have, like, two people that I talk about those things to. Um so that's, I think, kind of where we first came up with or came out of this idea. Wouldn't you say, Care? Yeah, yeah. And I also think that's pretty normal. I mean, you've been married a long time and so have I. And really the person we need to talk to about, you know, sex specifics are usually, you know, our spouses. So, <laughs> um Although, again, also your spouse isn't going to be cool about you, you know, broadcasting your uh, 
likes and dislikes, perhaps. So, yeah, I I think this is really interesting because, um, for one thing, I'm I haven't found a lot of uh, YA where girls discuss this very candidly and. When I was young, that wasn't something I had like a a whole spectrum of friends and then some of them were really open about it and some you had to sort of press for information and some would not say anything. So there was kind of a range of, of responses to it. But I have to say that when we did talk about it, we got very detailed. Um, there was no privacy on the part of, you know, the, the boy, it was all boys at that point, um, that we were talking about sexually. So, I mean, part of it was sort of wonderful that we were able to articulate those things. I'm not saying that it made our young sexual exploration super positive and seamless and beautiful, but it just made it um, something that wasn't shameful. Um, My friends were very much, you know, we would go out and we'd be like, we're going to go out and have fun. We're going to go meet people. Um, I had to be dragged because I hated going to parties. But, you know, I was convinced to do those things. And they were very thrill-seeking, my group of friends. Um, and so when somebody uh, hooked up with somebody at a party, you know, of course, there was the question is, well, do you still, you know, do you like him? Do you want to, you know, hope he'll like you back? That that conversation went on a lot. Um and then there was the stuff, you know, well, what did you actually do? You know, and so um, that part, I think, is really a, an interesting piece. I, I, It's something you can't know about modern teenagers at this point, because how would you talk to them about that? I like, know, right. And like, there's, I mean, and honestly, too, like as great as Scarletine is, like how much is that like is, is real, you know, you can't eavesdrop and you, you're not like getting into sort of the organic part of it. Um, I was just thinking about sort of what you said, you know, in, in difference between what we would talk about as teen girls and of course what we talk about now, which is so different and, and much more has to be with, you know, your partner or whoever. But, um, as teen girls, I think for me, there was, there was a little bit of, um, I don't want to say instructional cause that's not exactly right. But, um, I think there was like an aspect of like, kind of a, well, what did you do? And like, what was that like, you know, because I think that, um, I, I, like, I wouldn't say that there was like, you know, I don't know that anyone that I knew had sort of a fear base to it, but it was much more like, I'm not sure I want to do that, or I'm not sure I'm kind of game for that. And so I want to know, like, I want to gather information. And so like, it makes sense that you would talk to your girl friends about that as a teenager, because like, how else are you going to gather information? Certainly not from Tumblr. You know, <laughs> God, I, we hope, you know. Well, um, I mean, I actually wish I'd had Tumblr because I was the kind of nerd that went and looked up sex things in the card catalog at the public library. But the the thing about with my friends is it wasn't so much like, oh, what's it like? you know, to give someone a blowjob. It was more like we sort of shared relevant data points. Like, you know, I would know that, oh, one of my friends would say, oh, my, my dad walked in on us and I was only wearing my underpants. Um, and I call them underpants because I hate the word panties. But, and so then she didn't say what had happened, you know, in, to get her to that state. But I was like, 
oh, so now I'm thinking like, okay, so that that's something that's possible. That's something that you could do. Um, that's going on in that, that particular context of that guy and my friend. And so I don't know. It was just like a data that I would store. Um, and then the other part is like, just like, really funny things that guys would do or say like we just were I mean it was probably their worst nightmare hearing this but we would just laugh so hard like there was this one guy one of my friends um made out with in a car outside of a a party a house party and they were in like the front seat of the car and so he they were kissing and it was like bucket seats and so he like hauled her on top of him and it wasn't very comfortable because you know the steering wheel I don't know why they weren't in the passenger seat so then he just reclined the seat all the way back And, oh, my God, like, she even said at the time she thought that was super funny that he would do that, you know, because it was this little bit of technology, you know, inserting itself into their makeout. And, oh, my God, we gave that guy so much shit behind his back about how he did that, and we laughed about it. And I don't know. It was... (laughs) Well, see, and that's interesting, because I feel like... um... I, and I guess maybe this is like in my own head how how I think things play out because again like I haven't been privy to like teenage boy conversations but you know when I was a teenage girl like I felt like our conversations it, it might have been like funny stories but I don't know that they were like necessarily um, I, there's something about um, okay so uh, we, you and I just talked about this really briefly um, a couple uh, now like 20 years ago um, this movie Kids came out and it was sort of horrifying on many many levels but um, I mean it's 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 th- there was also a part of me that went and saw that movie and sat in the movie theater and thought yeah that would maybe be what it's like except of course there were like no parents present at all but other than that <laughs> there was like a lot of it that I was like uh. and I remember very specifically like this scene with this guy between like this sort of banter between these guys that was so gross and like mean spirited and I like I think there was like just it was gross and I just thought in my head that's what I thought it was like and I have no I guess beta point for this I have no um I don't know if that's the case or not I I feel like we should ask your husband because he's really good about telling stuff like that but I have no I have no um like pulse point whereas like with my girlfriends it would be different I I feel like there was much more of a and maybe it was because there was an element of really liking um really liking someone or really wanting someone to um like you back and so it was a little bit more I don't know it was just a little bit different well when you're a girl and a boy picks you to get naked with or to kiss or whatever like there is this sort of honor of being picked even if you're being picked because both of you are super drunk and it's three in the morning and there's nothing else to do there's still you know you were picked right so that's Mm -hmm. like a, a girl thing and so of course you feel kind of fondly towards that guy um you know for a certain amount of time um and I also think though that for for men the idea I feel like we have the stereotype that they sit and talk and they're really gross and mean spirited but I actually think that is a very small minority of people because based on the way I hear adult men talk about these things as well 
it, it feels like like the rest of the culture that everyone is super worried about even discussing this, you know, even theoretically, much less talking about their own, you know, exploits. And so my view is that the guys who talk like, you know, who are explicit or even disgusting and rude and mean spirited are a minority. And my husband has always maintained that those guys are also full of shit, that they have they lack credibility because they bring it up like that. And so, um uh, you know, I should ask him. I will ask him. I think that that's accurate, though. I'm going to buy into that too. In the same way that I, I, I buy it, I would say that you saying, "Oh, girls think that they're being picked." I imagine that there's a part of guys, and I'm, and I, Adrian would probably say this too, that there's a part of guys that feel like they were picked. You know, that there's something about like if there's a hookup at the party, like is there guys who are also like, "I was picked," like she's flirting with me, she's whatever. You know. It, that sort of element, um, which, and not to bring books into this because I'm having such a fun conversation without talking about books, but just to, just for a second to talk about books, um, you and I have talked about Alexis Bass's, um, love and other theories. And -hmm. one of the things about this book that to me is really masterful is, um, it's a very different kind of thing because basically it's this group of girls who kind of were done with heartbreak. They were done with always being these needy girls. They were done with like wanting so desperately to be wanted. And so they kind of made this girl code um, where they're like, they didn't care if, you know, they would hook up with guys and, and it would, they were so breezy about it. And if like one of their other friends hooked up with them later, it's not a big deal because we, we don't get attached to guys. And it made them, they felt like it made them very desirable because they were the care, the girls who didn't care at all. And what's so insightful about, about the end of that book is, um, when you sort of hear from the guys, and this is what I really liked because the guys were like, we didn't think you gave a shit. Like you put that across. So we didn't put, you know, like we put no effort into this because you didn't want it, you know? And this was a really interesting, this is what I really liked about that book. I thought it, it, it's, it's sort of like this breakdown of communication, um, which I think, you know, is, is very true with a lot of times with us having girl talk is, that ideally you would have your girl talk and then you would go out and, and, and have that same talk with your partner or whatever. But a lot of times that doesn't happen. You know, you just sort right. of develop this as law. And that's what's so great about that book is sort of they develop this as this is the girl code. These are the rules we're going to live by. And you know that, that book, the rules, the one no. that you, okay, right? Like yes. be a creature like no other and like whatever, all the other things don't call him if he calls. Don't go on a date after Wednesday, whatever, all those different rules. Right. What was so fascinating about that book was there was just such a, it was like such a game, you know? And I'm like, really? Is this like how it works that you create this game that you're, you become totally untouchable? And I thought what was great about Love and Other Theories was it was sort of taking this idea of the rules and being like, and now this is why this doesn't actually work. This is why this is why this works was sort of like it was like a female pickup artist except they want to get married they don't want to get laid um it's sort of the same kind of game and tactics and strategies that just depress me because it's like 
we're just keeping ourselves even more far removed from, you know, the, the sex that we want, the relationships that we want. And I guess, frankly, who wants to dress up as much as that? I mean, uh, stuff about wearing makeup, my God, I would never get laid really. The (laughs) thing about, the thing that's really fraught, I think about teenage year romance and, you know, your early twenties and all of that is the problem is that there are people at different stages, you know, that they're, people that are still exploring and they, they don't want to stop with you. It has nothing to do with you being, you know, bad or ugly or pretty or whatever. It has to do with you being one person and they, the other person wants to explore more and learn more and just see more stuff. Um, and so there's different, uh, levels of curiosity and need in that respect. And so that's why we have all sorts of heartbreak and whatever in that stage of life, because there are people that, want to just quickly be monogamous and they just please choose me so I can be chosen and it doesn't matter what the rest of the relationship or the sex looks like it's just the idea of you know you know it must be a Myers-Briggs thing I really just want to nail this down and be done with it you know kind of deal and well and there's a buy-in there's a cultural buy-in to that I mean everything that you get is sort of this this build-up to your one and only you know, right. like, it, it, like you, you, it's sort of created from the time you were born that you have this one and only. And, and so it, like, it, it's strange that like sort of marrying the curiosity of teenage years and wanting to feel what other people feel like and what other people taste like and all those things with this idea that you have been sold from a very early age that you're looking for, you're on the hunt for your one and only, you know? Right. Well, and I, rem- I mean, even our, among my young friends and we were, you know, quite, um, I guess I don't want to say promiscuous cause that doesn't sound nice. It, you know, we were quite open and not caring about what people thought about us and what we did in all sorts of arenas. Um, but I still knew all of my friends had intense desire to be wanted. You know, we, I, even if they didn't say, I have intense desire, Carrie, that you want me. I just knew that because they were having a bummed out day or they felt terrible or they were, you know, crying on the phone. I knew it wasn't because, you know, I knew it was because they really wanted this guy to like them and he wasn't liking them, even if she, my friend would not say that. And so, um, I feel like that's, that's always there. I feel like a lot of times when I read books where it talks about, you know, kids that are sort of holding back on love, especially, you know, damaged kids, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's not how that works because we, we seek to be chosen. We seek to have affection. There's a high that, you that comes from that you don't you don't just dismiss that if you've especially if you've been burned by it and you've had it once and you know how great it is and so um I I knew that that there was this desperate like I I want this you know someone to pick me and I want to be his girlfriend and I want him to like me and I want to I I remember thinking it's not so much that I want to go to dances with this guy I just want to get to make out with him more regularly and that's what having a boyfriend meant was like we got to do you know, we got to kiss and we got to make out and we got to get naked more regularly. And that's kind of my non-romantic self. I, that's what I wanted more than anything. Did you like want someone at your, to meet you at your locker? Like, did you have that? Because one thing that you had said, um, was I'm going to add, well, we're going to get to this in a second, but one thing that you had said was you didn't see, and I, I too, um, struggled to, find things that I felt like were really juicy sort of sex talk kind of things in books that were YA books. Um, 
But one thing that you had said um, was, or what I had seen was a lot of conversations between girls. I mean, I found tons of great girl friendship books, but a lot of conversations between girls that sort of touched on this idea of wanting to be wanted without necessarily saying like, what did, what was it like? Or what, you know, without necessarily getting as juicy into it, the, the truth of that, that nugget of, I really want him to like me is still like, is very prevalent. I think I could probably like look at my bookshelf and, and name like a dozen books easily that have those conversations. Um, maybe they just don't go to the next step. But I'm curious for you, like if that was all part of the same conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think there was, there were definitely like hookups that were mistakes and, you know, you felt dumb about it and you hoped it'd never happen again, or the guy liked you. And then you had to kind of shake him off or let him know this wasn't going to happen again. And so there was that problem as well. But the, um, the, I want him to like me was usually because this was a strategy. The girl or my friend or even me went to a specific place, hoping to see this guy, hoping to get drunk, hoping to talk to him, you know, all of that kind of crap. Like just, it, it was a lot of time invested on up front on a person. And then you knew that that meant if they hooked up or if there was something physical that happened, then of course there's going to be, you know, a letdown if that investment doesn't bring anything. Mm -hmm. I also think there's, you know, I mean, there could be, and I'd love for listeners to email us at the website, which did we say the website? Um, No, you should say that. Oh, it's uh, www.theoralhistorypodcast.com. And you can email us at feedback at oralhistory.com. If you've got some book links, well, let's move into the books. But I just wanted to say also that um, the idea of a boy, um, my husband always would say, oh, I would just, the girls that would let me do X to them or let me kiss them, like he was always kind of, for be instead of being picked, it was like I got to do this with a girl. It that was his uh, big charged moment that he was being like given permission was the big deal. So I think permission getting picked. Um, the the thing though I think I'm wondering about is there's sort of this uh, either or how women talk about sex, whereas either that it doesn't happen or it happens in a really judgmental way, like how could you do that, you whore, or it turns into Sex in the City where we're automatically you know evaluating penis size or you know being just super raunchy and obscene about it, and I don't know that. I don't think either of those really get it right, especially if you were a teenage girl. I don't think you're, as a teenage girl, if you were to talk about penis size in a really um, sort of knowing way that I would believe you. uh, Nor would I. Nor would I. It just... Yeah, like because you have such a a, a, a huge data set to go from, I mean, right? right. Like, and, and and like the idea of you being, I mean, you being so um, upfront and bossy about your needs, you know, right out of the gate. Like, I'm sure there are people that exist like that, but I feel like I the tendency to swing the opposite direction of let's never discuss this unless to say you're a slut versus 
okay, now we are all um, sex in the city, dirty talk, brunch levels of discourse. I think that's both of those. There has to be something in the middle. And with with young people, again, they don't have the data set. They're not sure what it is they want, even if they do masturbate and understand how to get themselves off. Like, this is the whole point of the what makes YA sex in books interesting. Um, It's not because it's masterful or at expert levels. It's because it's about fumbling and figuring out and wondering um okay should we launch into the the books and the awkwardness of that um yeah and you know what i i do want to say this sort of aspect and you know i will always probably talk a little bit about this because i work as a rape victim advocate and that's such a big part of who i am and and what i do but i will say this um for my own perspective One of the things about being able to share stories with my girlfriends as teenagers, um, share sort of sex stories and, and, and a lot of times, I mean, how we would share it would be much more so sort of a, um, you know, and then this happened, but like, it was sort of more a little, not, I I don't know. I wouldn't say shy because I think we were really forthright about it, but, um, it was more so like an adventure as opposed to like we would describe it as an adventure as opposed to like the grittiness I mean we like just the words we would use wouldn't it just wasn't like that but what I wanted to say about it was that those conversations that I had with my girlfriends as a teenager ultimately to me got me to the place where they when I I first disclosed being a sexual violence survivor as a teenager and with my two best friends who I had had numerous conversations about sex with prior to this and so I think that um there's something to be said about having about acknowledging that kind of closeness with girlfriends where you can have these conversations about sex and how sometimes it can open the door to other conversations. And, and, and a great example of this actually is, um, Amy reads beautiful, um, which is a great book. Um, but there's a, a point in it where, um, Cassie is just basically having terrible sex and she's just like kind of getting it over with. And, and her whole sort of MO is that she's at this new school and she doesn't want to be, she's very smart, but she doesn't want to be a nerd anymore. And so she goes and, and befriends the bad girl or whatever. And, and, um, but there, there's a moment where, um, she's with a girl who had been, uh, sexually abused by her own father for years. And this girl is sort of seeking refuge with Cassie because her dad's about to get out of prison, yada, yada. But one of the things about it is that Cassie says to her, you know, um, like it is like, is all sex terrible? And the girl's like, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. It's supposed to be something different. And then she, the girl then tells the girl's name is Sarah. And then Sarah tells her sort of what had happened with her dad. And I do think that there's something about the intimacy of being able to talk about, I mean, Cassie just being like, I don't know, does, is, are you supposed to feel like the, how is that conversation started was do girls have orgasms? Is that even a thing? And I thought that was so great to have in there because like, 
like that is actually a conversation that I've had with my girlfriends. I mean, not now, but like when then I was like, what for real? Did you actually have one? Like was a big conversation topic because that's like a damn miracle, right? You know, as a 14 <laughs> or 15 year old when we were talking about it. Um, but anyway, the, the idea that in that particular scenario, it, it led into this disclosure of Sarah to Cassie. I think that that's relevant, at least in my life and probably in other people's lives too, is, is to acknowledge that a lot of people, um, like when I talk to teenagers about disclosing and them being first responders in sexual, in sexual assault that they, their friends will tell them first, a lot of that has to do with this intimacy that's built between girls, that this sort of, um, I, I tell you everything, I tell you about this thing. And, and I think that's an important part of, um, you know, the books that we read, but just this idea that that's a jumping off point to get into a lot more difficult things sometimes is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that, you know, I, I sometimes, of course the, the big question is, well, how do men do this or how do guys do this? How do boys connect in this way? And it's a huge mystery to me, like how they survive, adolescence and anything else really without people near them to hear their story or hear about their confusion or whatever. It seems incredibly lonely. Um, and it, I'd be fascinated to know what that looks like, but I feel like that's what enables women to survive so much shit is yeah. that they have friends that will listen and believe, um, I think that the books that I picked, I wanted to find books where everything was going along swimmingly and the girls were having great sex, positive, really transparent, wonderful, supportive conversations, but I didn't find any. Again, if you're listening and have a title that you think might be a good fit, will you please email us feedback at the oral history podcast.com. Um, one of the books I picked was called Life by Committee by Corianne Haydu. I love her books. Um, Life by Committee is kind of one of those situations where the main character, Tabitha, has been dumped by all of her friends because she's the one who got too cute. Like, she grew huge boobs all of a sudden and started getting more attention from boys. And so her friends who were not at that stage sort of disapproved of her and dumped her and were calling her names. And also Tabitha decided to go out and take her new body for a test drive and a lot of ways so she was having this secret relationship with a guy named joe and the thing about i love about that book there's a million things i love about that book but what i love about it is that's that sort of this is the polar opposite side of what you were talking about krista where girls sit there and and hold each other during their rough times and, and help each other is how horrible they can be to each other um how they can ostracize each other and shut each other out um they can decide that you know because tabby has boobs then she must be some sort of mutant and um isn't like us and anymore and so she's not our friend anymore and that's just a small aspect of that book um but I think it's it's so true I I remember that happening in my friend groups I remember it happening in elementary school so um the the kind of viciousness of girls and the way they they kind of shred each other for for growing up for being who they're their bodies are turning into it's it's like it's not just media imagery that's upsetting it, it can be indeed your your closest friends so that was one book um 
Do you have any other? You've got beautiful. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, put all these titles in the show notes on the website yeah. so you don't have to worry about forgetting um, them. Yeah. Well, and, you know, um, actually, like what sort of bounces off of that really in a great way is um, Jen, Jennifer Mathieu's The Truth About Alice, um, which is a wonderful debut that came out this past year in 2014. Um, and one of the things that I thought was actually really interesting about this is that um, Kelsey is Alice's best friend. And so what's interesting about this book is how it's structured as each chapter is told from a different perspective, different person's point of view. And Alice actually doesn't get her own chapter until the very last one. So she's silenced. It's a very interesting technique. But um, Kelsey was Alice's best friend. And Kelsey ultimately sort of ends up sabotaging Alice and one of the, the, the reasons for that is because, um, at one point, Alice doesn't tell Kelsey that she had given this dude, Mark, a blowjob in the, at the pool. And, um, Kelsey finds out from someone else and she's really upset about it. And then she's like, Alice, what, it, you know, why didn't you tell me? I'm, you know, I'm your best friend. And Alice is like, well, I mean, you're a virgin and I just, it was stupid. It was not a big deal. And it was so interesting because that, what, Alice said to Kelsey sort of then drove Kelsey into this terrible relationship and whatever. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this book to you, but um, (laughs) whatever. Sorry. But uh, everyone, I'm hoping everyone will read this anyway, because it's so magical. But, um, but it ends up driving like a really big plot point and, and sort of makes Kelsey into a a big enemy with Alice after that, you know, when all this thing, all these things go down with Alice's and it's a really interesting thing because in the same same way, it, it's similar to Life by Committee in that it has this idea of tearing girls down. But uh, what was, to me, so poignant and, and relevant to our conversation on this was that it was the embarrassment about being a virgin and that, like, now my girlfriends won't tell me something because I'm a virgin. I don't know what this is like. And that actually was so, there was a little bit of a truth. It wasn't competition with me and my girlfriends as, as, when we were teens, but the there was a little bit of a truth when I felt like, okay, everyone had had like real sex, um, like, and I hadn't yet. There was like, I, I feel like that motivated me a little bit with my, I'm going to get this over with, um, more than it necessarily would have, um, if my friends hadn't already done it, you know, and there's a little bit, so I don't want to call it competition because that's not the right way of saying it, but it, there was a little bit of feeling left out. And well, I think girls yeah. in high school in particular, and I didn't feel this way in college at all. I mean, at college was such a different animal, but in high school in particular, I felt like I wanted so desperately to fit into my girl group. I wanted a boy to like me. I wanted all these different things. I mean, there was so much of high school that was just motivated by neediness. Um, but, uh, but part of that was this idea that if I didn't, if there was some way I didn't quite measure up that I wanted to measure up in, in, if that makes sense. Well, I think also that is an issue of access to information. And part of it is because we don't have um, any sort of models for talking about sex in any sort of rational way, except please don't do that horror. Um, Let's talk about every risk factor in the world, you know. Um, 
is it's access to information that the girls, I think, young girls and I are very concerned about. So if you are not even able to talk or think about it to yourself, like you can't process that you gave some guy a blowjob and I, you know, I don't even want to articulate this to my diary or whatever. Um, but then you, the, your friends find out from another channel, like the, the guy himself or whatever, then there's that sort of betrayal. Like she had this information and she wouldn't share it. I'm no longer in the inner circle that gets to know that's another kind of mini hierarchy among girl friendships is who gets to know what thing who's honored enough to know what thing. And so, um, that kind of thing where, Oh, well, it's not just that, Oh, she's on the other side. Now she's on the sex side of the fence. And I'm over here on the virgin side of the fences. She wouldn't even, you know, bless me with this data, even, you know, the mere, fact that it occurred um that's another kind of uh in the race for affection i feel that all teenagers are sort of churning through you know please like me please like me i don't know who i am but please like me um that that's another thing that is super upsetting in young friendships because getting to know is another thing that matters like being chosen or whatever um the the one actual, uh, the book that I thought was probably the most positive about a, of the three that I picked um, is uh, Sarah Milnowski's 10 Things We Did and Probably Shouldn't Have, which I think you've read, right, Krista? Yes, it's a great book. It's a fun book. Um, it's, it's a great premise where these two girls, through a whole labyrinth of lies, managed to live on their own for like a year. And so they're living by themselves with no parents and no oversight. And they do all this crap, like rent a giant hot tub and they have parties all the time. And um, it, it, the two primary characters are April and her friend Vi. And so obviously with no parental oversight for a long period of time, um, having sex would be one of the things that would come up. And April has a longtime boyfriend who she's you know contemplating whether they should do it in that sort of um, teenage monogamy way where you sit there and you know do the yoga hands and are like, are we ready? And what is the birth control and all that crap? Whereas her friend Vi is sort of uh, like you, Krista, which ah, I'm going to just move get this out of the way. And so she sort of, um, you know, put, puts together a strategy, picks a guy that she thinks will be down for it, that she knows likes her and, and kind of runs after it. And there's not a lot of judgment about it. Although I think, um, Vi has her own issues with picking this guy because she wishes it would be just a one-time thing. And then it's not, um, but I like that book a lot because it's really about girls taking risks and making bad decisions and being ridiculous and also some just hilarious things. And, um, I feel like we need to see a lot more of that because this whole thing where this girl is whiny and makes bad decisions and what did she expect and blah, 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 that is so boring to me. Like, I don't really need to read YA fiction if I want to get that. I can go read the entire Western canon of literature and if I want some kind of slut shaming and disapproval about female decision making. So I love that book. Um yeah, and you know what? Actually, um, it, uh, on the the counterpoint to that, I know you and I have talked about um, 
how sometimes you do risky things and, and there's no consequence to them. And then sometimes you do risky things and there are consequences to them and, and how, you know, we are sort of sometimes heavily loaded on the consequence. And, and, um, for our two listeners, um, who don't know, uh, I actually edit, uh, romance novels. Um, that's kind of my day job. And I feel like, you know, I'm constantly sort of flagging, you know, where's the condom in this? Are we going to wear condoms and, and all this thing, you know, these, these parts are like sort of the, you know, the general, always in the general commentary is where's the condom or where did the condom go? Um, but, um, because sometimes they leave it on and I'm like, did we lose the condom? What has happened? Are they just like laying there with it on, you know? And anyway, so, um, but one of the, to me, what I, uh, one of the books I read last year that I loved, um, that dealt with, you know, consequences, but in this really lovely way, um, is, uh, Katie Katugno's, uh, How to Love, mm-hmm. which, you know, um, she has sex, she has a baby. Um, and it's told in sort of this now and then perspective, but, uh, it's great because the guy disappears and, you know, she goes on with her life and she's actually okay. And then he turns up again. Um, but I really like, and I think Katie does this beautifully and, and her new book is coming out soon and she does it beautifully with her new book too. Um, she does female friendships really well. And I really liked the, um, relationship between Shelby and Rena in this book, because there's a point where at the end, you know, Shelby, or, you know, which is sort of when she finds out she's pregnant, um, Shelby's like, you know, you could go to Planned Parenthood. Like this is like, and, and that I feel like sometimes those conversations don't happen. Like, you know, I know Erica's uses for boys deals with abortion and, and there are other books that have dealt with it. But in this one, I sort of like the conversation because it's a very honest friend conversation. And I don't know if you've had those conversations, but I actually have and have said like, you know, here are your choices. Um, like as an advocate, you always have those conversations, but just, you know, here's the options for you. And it's a great conversation, conversation at the end between Shelby and Rena, because she's like, you know what? No, I really can't. No, I can't. It's not for me. Like that's not. And I, there was just something really raw and honest about that moment that I feel like we don't necessarily see. I think sometimes like we're so safe, you know, and we, we always want to make sure the condom's on or, you know, like, or sometimes, you know, the reality is that sometimes you have sex without a condom. I mean, don't do this kids, but sometimes you have sex without a condom and you don't get pregnant or an STD. Like it's terrible, but sometimes that happens. Like, Well, you know, sometimes you go skiing and you don't break your leg. Sometimes you drive on an icy day and you don't get into a four car pileup. I mean, you know, sometimes you go eat at Applebee's and you don't get uh, food so poisoning. <laughs> so, I mean, it's so dumb to sit here and like load up the plates of kids uh, with all this sort of uh, insanity about how doom is they're being, they're beset by doom on all sides. I mean, like, if you really want to get technical, we all are set beset by doom on all sides at, at all times. Um, and, you know, sometimes you get away with it and sometimes you don't. And it's like the sex thing, though, we have built not just, you know, a fence around it, but also, you know, a fortress wall and a moat full of alligators and everything else so that we, we and don't it's all wrapped in a condom. 
So. Right. And, and like, I, you know, I've had conversations with teenagers who didn't know they could buy condoms legally. Like, they thought they needed to be, like, 21. Or they didn't know that they could go um, and pay for an abortion with cash and that their parents wouldn't find out, oh, are you sure? Because doesn't every time you go to the doctor, your parents get pinged? I'm like, not if you don't, you know. <laughs> no. If you pay with cash, they don't. Um, stuff like that. Like, there, there's just there's horror over the consequence, but then nobody goes through the next three steps. Like, okay, well, if you decide to have a baby, then you have to start taking prenatal vitamins and, you know, whatever. Or if you decide to have an abortion, then you need to gather up a couple hundred bucks and get someone to take you there and drive you home. You know, like there's, it, it just, we just stop at the, the mushroom cloud result of their horrible choice, which is no condom or, you know, not, you know, keeping their body sexually healthy or whatever, while never giving them a lot of information about how to keep their body sexually healthy aside from abstinence, which is infuriating. I think this is the reason I like um, the third book I picked. The it, All YA from Australia is just like, just better. I don't know why. Like, what's going on in Australia that everything there is so fucking on point. But um, this book I just read over the holidays called Wildlife by Fiona Wood. I think it's been out for a while. It was so, I mean, it was so refreshing in the fact that the girls, um, there are two main characters, Lou and Sabella, and um, they both get stuck going to this, like, environmental uh, nature-oriented semester for school. And they both talk about sex in a very frank way that's not like, um, I don't know, it's just totally devoid of the sort of American uh, morality that I'm used to when I read YA fiction or, you know, anything really. Um, and Sibella is she has she has that sort of oh i'm i'm dazzled by being chosen i'm dazzled by being wanted by this one guy um and lou is kind of shut down by grief but they they all lou and sabella live in this uh cottage with a, a cluster of other girls and just seeing this you know ensemble cast of how girls react to each other's behavior in close quarters um sabella has a, a best friend that is just out of control horrible um lou is sort of monitoring all this at a reserve uh spot kind of above it all not wanting to get involved at first and it is just the coolest book i mean the honesty of, of sabella on dealing with her friendships and um, the guy she's involved with and how she's going to have sex with him and how she can't resist him. Like she has like physical desire that's, um, you know, she's sort of beguiled by his good looks and by how he feels and all of that. Um, it's just such a cool book. It's so fun. Um, but it's also a really uh, about grief. Lou is grieving uh, her boyfriend that has died. Um, it is, it's, a, it's an amazing story. So yeah, anything that comes from Australia, I love it anyway, but that one really yeah. just deals with sex so well and deal. And then Lou, um, you know, gets to know Sabella by living in this cabin. And so they kind of connect and you can see what each other's judgments of the other are, which is really fascinating. Um, it's the kind of thing that you don't notice when you're that age. You just feel like, well, these are the facts. You know, this is how my one friend acts, and this is how my other friend acts, and there's no changing it. But when you can see it from 
an adult's point of view, you can see how, well, actually all of you have lots of choices, but you keep acting the same way. So there's nothing set in stone. It's, it's really beautiful. I love that. Making the same mistakes. Yeah. Um, okay, we should wrap up because the people who are out listening to this podcast while they're walking their dogs are getting really cold. So yeah. um, that's our first one. Thank you for listening, three Thank listeners. Um, please stop by our website again if you want to leave a comment. If you don't want to, if you want to say something not nice about the show, don't just direct that directly to Carrie because I'm thin-skinned. Um, <laughs> Um, and that our website again is www.theoralhistorypodcast.com. Um, we will also have the titles of the books we mentioned and anything else in the show notes. You can subscribe to us in iTunes. If you um, want to send us an email with any of your comments or questions or book recommendations that you think we might like, as well as ideas for future topics, you can reach us at feedback at the oral history podcast.com. Okay. Um, and then until next time, I think next time we, Carrie and I might be together for a live broadcast of a, of a review of 50 shades of gray since Carrie is coming to Chicago to visit me and we get to see that together. So yay. <laughs> yay. Um, so yeah. Um, so then, okay. Until next time, remember sex and books are two things that are way better when you talk about them with other people. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.